Today's first scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Psalm 37, 1 through 11. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious because of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither away. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This morning, I want to invite you to take a moment right now and think of names or faces that have popped up in our kind of cultural landscape, even the past week. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's a professional athlete, Hollywood star, or even a Christian leader or teacher. What names have popped into your mind right now? What faces? As you hold those people in, in, your, in your memory right now, I want to invite you to consider what kinds of qualities are said or put forth in their public persona. Can you think of a few words? Maybe shout them out from where you're at. What are some? You don't, don't name who it is. But what qualities or characteristics would you say? Powerful? Rich? Charismatic? Divisive? Successful? Sorry? Tenacious, yes. Any others? Yeah, those are all good, like... People who are charismatic, well-spoken, who have a lot of accomplishments, who are strong, who may have be eloquent and have good looks. When it comes to the kind of praise and uh, qualities that our, peop- that our culture celebrates, particularly in American culture, we never hear the word meek used. Can you imagine 
a Democratic or any presidential candidate leading off their campaign, meek, the meekest of them all. <laughs> Winners in our world are never meek. In our sermon series on the Beatitudes, we are looking at how Jesus' upside-down, understated pronouncements that begin his Sermon on the Mount serve to describe how people live in the kingdom of God. Today, we're looking at this third pronouncement, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. For Jesus, it's the meek that win it all. For Jesus, it's the meek that are the heroes, and the meek are truly strong. So we're going to look at this in three steps. First, the meek ain't weak. Secondly, how the meek are made. And third, meekness, FTW. If you don't know what that is, you can stay, listen on and I'll tell you in a bit. <laughs> Jesus is the greatest teacher and influencer in history, but he never yet, yet once said, blessed are the greatest leaders, blessed are the mobilizers, blessed are the charismatic ones. Yet why do we seem to value these so much in our culture? Even within the Christian church, there is unfortunately story after story of leaders who are celebrated for their gifts and leadership skills and stage presence, yet character deficiencies we find are no different than any other leader. Often we find that Christ's followers have worldly values of power and success and leadership. And they use scripture to justify those values rather than allowing God to define what true strength and leadership is. So before we talk about the nature of meekness that Jesus speaks about, it may be helpful to define what meekness is not because it's not something we talk about. It's not something we think about. It's something that we aspire to. First, meekness is not having an inferiority complex where I think I'm less than everyone else. Meekness is also not a personality trait or a disposition. It's not something that we are naturally inclined to uh, or that some people are better at because they're wired more like that. Meekness is also not laziness or indolence where we just avoid any kind of activity because it takes too much effort. Meekness is also not niceness. It's not being nice where a meek person is simply agreeable and easy to get along with. Lastly, meekness is not compromising and peace, seeking peace at any price. You know, our church has roots in the Mennonite tradition. It's a tradition that's known for valuing peace and reconciliation, and particularly in nonviolent methods. But sometimes this quality of peace-loving can be exercised to a fault, where keeping the semblance of peace is more important than addressing the root of conflict. But that's not what meekness is about. These are all qualities that are viewed often as meekness. And Jesus is not saying, blessed are the doormats. Blessed are the wimps. Blessed are the pushovers. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Meekness in this beatitude and in the scriptures is not clearly the meek that we often think about in our modern world. The dictionary, if you punch it into Google or in the, look at it up in a dictionary, the dictionary definition of meekness is Quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, and submissive. You wonder why meekness is not valued in the world? Who really wants to be like that? But what is respected? Strength, power, self-assurance, 
aggression. Assert yourself and dominate. Control the narrative. Manifest your destiny and your power against all odds. Then you will win. Then you will be successful. And this view is particularly relevant to Matthew's audience. He's writing to Jews. And their idea of God's kingdom was very material and earthly. Jesus didn't fit their expectations of a Messiah. They thought they were getting a political and military leader who would lead their people to take the promised land, who would oust the Roman Empire and lead God's people to be the envy of the world. They were expecting conquest and fighting in a very real sense. But Jesus, with this third pronouncement, says something different. He says, no, that's not what I came to do. That's not the kind of kingdom I came to establish. Those who inherit the kingdom of God, they don't take it by exerting power the way we think power is exerted. They meek, the meek do exert power, but they exert it differently and still inherit the earth. But the meek, they sure ain't weak. Moses and Jesus are two people in Scripture who are explicitly referred to as being meek, but they are hardly forgotten figures in history. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were here on the face of the earth. The, Greek, uh, the Hebrew word used in Numbers is anava, which is translated in our English translations as meek, humble, or pious. Jesus, in, in Matthew 11, later on in the sermon, says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's often translated meek or humble or considerate is the word preos, not the car, prius, although that can be considered meek. Preus is used in the first century to describe domesticated animals, those who had to learn to accept the control of their masters, hence the understanding of humility, gentleness, meekness. Paul also referred to himself as attempting to live out the meekness of God and calling others to do so. He uses the word eight times, more than anyone else in his letters. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself, entreat you, the Corinthian church, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We get the sense that here are some people in Scripture, and there's many others, who exude meekness, yet are not forgotten people. One good definition of this more ancient understanding of meekness is to not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Meekness is not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you're not overly impressed with yourself. Then you'll inherit the earth. This year, I began participating in a ministry support cohort together with other D.C. area pastors. And this is a picture of uh, Reverend Erica St. Bernard, and she helps facilitate our times together. And as a female ordained minister in the AME church, she shared of her reluctance to be a leader in the church because she saw the kinds of leaders that were celebrated on the stage. They were talented, composed, gifted. But when they stepped off the stage, she noticed that how differently they acted and treated others when they stepped off the stage. And she knew that she wasn't that kind of person, and she didn't want to be that kind of leader, if that's the kind of leader that the church expected. 
And then in the few times that I've met with her, I've been able to observe her gifts and encouraged her in our last meeting, saying, you know, the problem and reluctance you feel towards leadership doesn't have to do with the kinds of leaders, uh, the kind, doesn't have to do with the kind of leader that God has made you to be. It has to do with the kind of leaders that the church and Americans in particular expect of the kinds of leaders that we celebrate to be worthy to be on the stage. But we need you on the stage. So how do we become the kind of meek people that Jesus is talking about here? Jesus is the example of meekness. And he lives out all of the Beatitudes to complete perfection. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity God. As that person, he owns the earth and inherits the earth. And it promises the meek will also inherit the earth as well. He's the only one who gets to tell people what they can actually have. Because as God, he has the right to do so. Jesus here is quoting Psalm 37, which Rosalind helped read for us earlier. And many commentators believe that this psalm gives us the best understanding of what it means to be meek. The psalm is linked by this phrase throughout. In verse 9, verse 22, verse uh, 29 and 34, they shall inherit the land or the earth. And it's verse 11 that Jesus quotes directly when he says the meek will inherit the land. You know, David is writing the psalm when he is wrestling with the age-old problem of the, the apparent success of those who ignore and disobey God. It seems just as relevant in our day and age now. Those who are aggressive, power-wielding, those who are self-asserting and controlling, those who play loose with truth and bully others with their position and authority, they're the ones who seem to be winning right now. And David faced that reality for himself. He's on the run from a jealous king and insecure King Saul. He knows personally those who lie and step on others to get ahead. The rich and powerful buy their way out of problems and their sin. Yet David here makes a daring claim, which Jesus repeats with authority. He says, the meek, the gentle, they're the ones who will inherit the earth. So how does one become meek? If we look down this psalm, we can note a few things. Verse 3 says, trust the Lord and do good. Do good in the face of evil. Cultivate faithfulness and trust. You know, many people get away with doing evil and acting unjustly, but the meek bank on doing the will of God, not exacting revenge. Verse 4 says, delight themselves in the Lord. Rather than exacting vengeance or focusing on being taken advantage of, the meek simply focus on who God is and what he's doing in the world. Verse 5 says, commit their way to the Lord. The Hebrew word for commit literally means to roll, to roll your way into the Lord. Put all of your weight upon. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And this is not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. Waiting requires concentration and readiness to move. It's like waiting on tiptoe, like a sprinter at the beginning at the sprinting block, or waiting uh, as a soldier waiting to jump and attack. It's an active waiting. Verse 8 says, do not fret. And literally in Hebrew, it means do not get heated. It takes great strength to not get heated. We often waste so much time and energy 
stewing over people or situations when we are taken advantage of, or when we're offended, or when we're ignored. But meekness acknowledges those emotions and channels them towards something positive. Lastly, in verse 27, the meek depart from evil and do good in the face of evil. They do not return evil for evil because that isn't strength. That is, in fact, weakness. Don't respond to violence and injustice with more twisting of justice. And I know, I, I think I can say this safely in a room full of some Mennonites. That's why extreme gun rights advocates, that's really uh, difficult for me. The answer to violence in schools is not to arm our teachers, arm our principals, and arm, what's next, arm the good students in the, in the school. The meek are strong because they rest in God's arms not in their own arms, physically and metaphorically. They are wise because they see life through the eyes of God. The meek stand strong because they are tethered to the eternal one. Meekness doesn't mean that we don't speak out or act against injustice. But meekness, but it does mean that when we speak out against evil, against injustice, it's not dependent on us winning, and them losing. Sometimes I think our American conception of winning is overly dependent on asserting strength and dominating, coming out with guns ablaze in relationships and in debates on issues. Meekness is particularly countercultural in our context. Richard Lewis is a British linguist, and he's charted communication patterns between different cultures and leadership styles in business and in communication. Here are a couple of communications, uh, here are a couple of visualizations of, from his research. And it's, there, I picked three of them because I'm, I've kind of had some interaction with them. So here's a German, how Germans communicate and arrive at a, at a decision. I work for some German executives and all of them were German and they are very precise. <laughs> so how does this work? You know, you prompt, promptly start. Review past history. State context, examine facts, present a frank proposal. There's some resistance from the other side. Then you absorb the counter-argument, offer a new counter-proposal, and then a cautious but firm agreement. But the most important thing is the truth is the truth. Follow the agenda. Full stop. That's what they always said. Here's Canadian, because I grew up in Canada. You know, word base, you know, honest, open preamble. Lay the cards on the table. Look at the options, evaluate pros and cons. Then the other, person, other side presents their view. And then you compromise for a win-win. Come up with an immediate action plan. Then you begin to act and everything's clear. The thing here is low key. Don't get too excited. Here's Americans. <laughs> Word base, all the cards on the table. Spell it out even louder. Then you confront, provoke some jokes. Then a fight is communication. <laughs> Intensity rises, levels rise. Then you concede, conciliate, and summarize. Then you arrive at clarity. Clearly, Americans don't do meek. As we've been learning so far in this series on the Beatitudes, the order that, the G that Jesus pronounces these Beatitudes is important. Being poor in spirit the very first one is what unlocks all the other Beatitudes and leads to meekness. 
Being poor in spirit is when we, when we have to face God and acknowledge our weakness and inability. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit leads us to the condition of mourning, mourning our sin. As we come before God and recognize his holiness and his glory and his majesty, we become immensely aware of our sin and in our undeservedness of being in the presence of God. And out of that, that leads to meekness. See, the first two Beatitudes are really a personal introspective postures. But meekness is lived out in relationship. It's when others are looking at me, pointing a searchlight on me when I respond to situations. How do I do that? Meekness shows up in how we respond to constructive criticism. Meekness shows up in how we learn to defer to others. As we follow Jesus and become more like him, and as the good news of God's kingdom grabs a hold of us and of our hearts, we become more meek. Meekness cannot be produced by our self-determination. It is a product of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. As we recognize the poverty of our own spirit, and as we mourn sin in our world and in ourselves, we realize that we cannot be overly impressed with ourselves. And that's what leads us to inherit the earth. What's this inheritance? Well, for sure, for those who put their trust in Christ, there is a great and eternal reward in heaven in this life to come. But those in God's kingdom also experience a great inheritance in this life. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The meek who are meek now will inherit the earth. The true strength and gift of meekness is something that we can enjoy now. So here are three possible areas that we've kind of touched on where we encounter the strength of meekness. Meekness, FTW, meekness for the win. I snapped the photo of this car driving home this week, and their license plate, if you can't see it, says humble. And I don't know the driver. They have Maryland plates, I think, so they're not my neighbor. But I'm assuming that they're well-intentioned, but I kind of laughed at the irony of somebody who would put humble on their vanity license plates. In the short story, The Esquimau Maiden's Romance, Mark Twain quipped, there's a breed of humility which is itself a species of showing off. There's a kind of meekness that this, this kind of meekness that Jesus pronounces is evident of those belonging to his kingdom. You see, the opposite of pride isn't humility. The opposite of pride is self-forgetfulness. As Tim Keller, the New York City pastor, puts it, humility is not thinking of yourself less. No, thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True meekness is no longer protecting ourselves by our strength and our efforts because we realize that there is nothing worth defending. Those who are meek never pity themselves. Those who are meek never feel sorry for themselves. To be meek means that you are just completely finished with yourself altogether. You have no rights at all. It's all in God's hands. So whether, when you begin to feel self-important or when you begin to feel self-pity, those are signals that we are thinking of ourselves as deserving of more than we should. Those are opportunities to explore what Jesus invites us to meekness. Look to God's promises and invite the Holy Spirit to direct our eyes to what God has already given to us in Christ. You are loved. You are forgiven. 
You're not alone. You have someone who is always on your side. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Anglican pastor, says this, the one who is meek is the one who is amazed that God and humanity think of him or her as well as they do and treat him or her as well as they do. That's meekness. We inherit the earth by recognizing our proper relationship with God and our place in this earth. Meekness also shows up in how we respond to anger. When there is evil and injustice, when we are offended and wronged, we want to lash back at others with our words, with our lawsuits, or with our silence. We want to take back what is ours. And even Frederick Nietzsche, the one who wrote against the need for religion and God, recognized the negative power of anger. He said, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he or she does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into the abyss, the abyss will gaze back at you. Rebecca Hamilton is an Oklahoma House of Representatives uh, member and a practicing Catholic. She recently wrote an article on how to disagree meaningfully with those who are in power. She says, whoever fights monsters, yeah, it's up there on the screen, should see to it that he or she does not become a monster. That admonition should become part of our daily prayers. It's the easiest thing to trip and fall into monsterdom, even for the most well-intentioned amongst us. Inheriting the earth shows up when meekness conquers our hearts. Humility and meekness will tame hearts that are repelled by anger, by hardness, and by pride. Dostoevsky's um, Brothers Karamazov, in that story, the wise monk Father Zosima says this, at some thoughts, one stands perplexed, especially at the sight of men's sin, and wonders whether one should use force or humble love. Always decide to use humble love. If you resolve on that once for all, you may subdue the whole world. Loving humility is marvelously strong, the strongest of all things, and there is nothing like it. When we face injustices, evils, and offenses, one who is meek wins the world in recognizing that the living God owns and is over all the earth. The living God will deal justly and rightly. So it's not our job to mete out judgment on the world stage with our anger. Lastly, for one who is humble in heart, for one who is meek and powerful, poor, they know that all will be well in the end. And that is liberating. That is freeing. The poor person becomes sovereign and tastes sovereign liberty as a children of God. Early 20th century Polish nun and mystic, her name is St. Maria Faustina Kowalsa, wrote in her published diary this reflection. Everything that exists on earth is at my service. Friends, enemies, success, adversity. All things, willing or not, must serve me. I do not think of them at all. I strive to be faithful to God and to love him to the point of complete forgetfulness of self. And he himself looks after me and fights against my enemies. That's a kind of freedom. The true strength of those who are meek have the most realistic view of the world, the most realistic view of themselves. 
and of justice and of freedom. And this realistic view carries them through the world with assurance and peace. The meek, they sure ain't weak. We are made weak through trusting in God and walking in the ways of God's Son, Jesus. And as we do so, we become more like God in his love, wisdom, strength, and grace. And this is what makes us truly strong. May we do so with God's help. Amen.